A few years ago, I used something in a sermon that I, I showed you guys something, and um, there we go. Now, this is something a little different. We kind of like these kind of things. How many of you can see Jesus? How many of you just see a bunch of black splots? Anyone just see a bunch of black splotches up there? It's kind of hard to see at first. I remember I used this in a sermon, and I left it up there the entire time, and I had people just staring up at the ceiling the whole time. And after a while, I'd see their eyes kind of light up. And it was like, I've seen Jesus. I've, I've seen Him. But if you look at it closely, if you kind of follow and, and in your head, you realize that this right here is an eyebrow, and this is an eye, and the other eye is in a shadow over here. Here's the bridge of his nose and his mustache, and his beard comes down like that. After a while, you look and you see something there, and you, see, you can see the image of, of Jesus in that. And again, it's one of those things where once you see it, once you see him, you can never unsee him. We, we like these kind of optical illusions. I get them in my email all the time. There will be something that somebody sends. It just looks like a bunch of dots. And if you stare at it long enough and then stare at the blank wall, you'll be able to see Jesus. And, and they're a lot of fun to look at stuff like that. But, but it ought to cause us to ask, if, if someone is looking to me, if someone's looking at us and wanting to see Jesus, how long would they have to look <laughs> before they saw Jesus in us? How long would they have to look and, and what would they have to overlook to see Jesus? Jesus began his ministry among his own people. He began his ministry among people who were looking for him. They were looking for the Messiah. One time a, a woman came to him, a Canaanite woman came wanting healing. And his response to her was, I have only come for the lost sheep of Israel. But as he, as he neared the cross, as he neared the completion of his work, as he neared his final hour, his flock began to widen. And he and his disciples were making a broader impact, a broader impact than the disciples ever realized. And so they were approached by those who were out from the outside and those who were curious. We're going to look at one of those stories today in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26, page 899. This is written by the Apostle John, who uh, was Jesus' best friend. Uh, not only one of, the, uh, one of the apostles, but one of his closest apostles. And in fact, he refers to himself as the, the disciple that Jesus loved. They were, uh, they were close friends. He was the last surviving um, apostle. And John wrote his gospel to tell us who Jesus is. And that's what we learn as we, as we read through it. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20, says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, 
the Father will honor him. This whole exchange is prompted when Greeks come to the Passover. Greeks, they are foreigners. They are from out of town. And they come with the question, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We wish to see this man that we've heard so much about, this teacher who is so wise. We want to see this miracle worker. We want to see what all the excitement is about. We want to know if this guy is for real. You know, People still come with those kinds of questions. But when they come and ask those questions, now they are looking at us. What do they see when they look at us? Do they see a, a clear picture of Jesus in our lives? Or is it a puzzle? How much effort do they have to go to if they want to see Jesus in us? How hard do they have to look at us? And how much do they have to overlook? Jesus says here, the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Glorified. It doesn't mean hidden. It doesn't mean uh, mysterious, that that you're not going to be able to see Him. He's going to be glorified. Not obscured, not disguised, but glorified. Clearly seen by all. And when people look at us, and they want to see Jesus, first and foremost, when they look at us, they need to see that we're like them. They need to see that we are real. That we're real people. John goes to, to great pains to make sure we get this here. He says these people were Greeks. They were Gentiles. They were others. And they might have been like Cornelius. We meet Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And Cornelius is a Greek, but he is a God-fearer. He keeps Jewish law. He, he, uh, he desired to be part of that population. They may have been convert, interested in converting. They may have been converts. They may have just been tourists who happened to be in Jerusalem. They went to Philip. And it's significant. John points it out that they went to Philip. What's significant about that is Philip is a Greek name. Philip had a a Greek name. And so they go to someone whose name is like their names. Philip was from Bethsaida, John points out to us, which was a city, a Jewish city, but it was near a Greek city. There would have been a lot of trade with the Greeks in Bethsaida between them and the Decapolis. So they go to Philip. They spot Philip, this guy who's with Jesus. And his name is like theirs? He probably was dressed kind of like there then, probably had the same kind of hairstyle that they had. He probably looked like he was, had been influenced by Greek culture. And, and they, they seek him out because they want to see Jesus. A friend of mine tells a story about his conversion, about the, the man who finally reached him for Christ, the man who finally made a difference, the man who finally was able to speak to him about the gospel And he says, you know what was different about that guy? You know what that guy had that none of the rest of the people that had tried to talk to me about Jesus had? He said, he had a motorcycle just like mine. (laughs) And he dressed like me. He he liked the same things that I liked. He kind of talked like me. He he liked to talk about motorcycles. And and that's what first introduced him to Christ. That's what finally reached him. There are people out there they want to see that we are one of them. That we're, they don't want to see people who look like they've got it all together. They, want to see, they don't want to see people who have all the right answers. They won't, don't want to see people that, that have life all figured out. They want to know that we're asking the same questions that they're asking. That we've been to the same places. That we've had the same problems. That we've struggled just like them. The key is authenticity. Does our community, 
Do the people that we hang out with, do they know us as real, authentic people? Are we relatable? Or do we look like aliens that have been just plopped down here in their midst to solve all their problems and we have all the answers because we're from someplace else? You know, you think about that. People today, they don't want experts. If somebody is sick, is the first thing they do, do they go to the doctor first? <laughs> no. If someone gets sick, what do they do? They ask their friends. Hey, I'm not feeling good. Have you ever done this? Yeah, I've, I've had that problem before. Well, what do you do about it? Well, I took this. I went to the pharmacy and I got that. Great, I'll go get it too. You know, the first thing they do is they ask their friends. They don't go to a doctor. They don't go to an expert. The second thing they do is they get on the computer and they ask the internet, you know, what do I do about this? And that's a great place to find out stuff. But they don't come to the experts. So who are they going to go to if they have spiritual questions? Who are they going to go to when they realize that their life is falling apart? They're not going to go to the experts. They're not going to make an appointment with me. They're going to go to their friends. They're going to go to someone they can relate to. These people wanted to see Jesus but they knew being outsiders, they could not approach him. But this guy that they saw, this, this Philip, Philip looked like one of them. Philip sounded like one of them. He had a name like one of them. And so they asked Philip. And then Philip goes to Andrew. And guess what? Andrew is also a Greek name. They go to another guy who's kind of like them, another guy who's relatable. So I ask you, if somebody in your community, if someone in your crowd has tough questions, would they be willing to go to you? Have they seen enough of you? Have they seen enough of your struggle to know that you'll understand, to know that you've been there? Do we look real? <laughs> do we look real to the people around us, or do we look kind of plasticky? Do we look kind of fake? If we're going to reach them, then we're going to need to look real. We need to stop pretending. Stop trying to look like we've got it all together. Stop trying to, to look like we're experts. We've got to admit, we've got faults. We've got problems. We are far from perfect. But we're trying. And I think it would be better if we were able to try with you. I think it would be better if we were able to try together. No one is impressed with fake Christians. They need to know that we're real. They need to know that we're approachable. They also need to know that we live for something different. When Philip and Andrew tell Jesus that these Greeks want to meet you, you see Jesus' response? Look in verses 23 and 24. It says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those of you who are in my Sunday school class will recognize that as a reference to the resurrection. It is a, a resurrection passage. In fact, the whole of Jesus' response to this question here, his whole response is based in the resurrection. Resurrection brings new life. Resurrection brings new growth. It, it brings new meaning to us. So we're not talking about something that we are going to achieve through our hard work or because we are such good people because we're better than others. It's something that we receive because of what Jesus did for us. Then in verse 25, he says, Whoever loves his life loses it. 
And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's one of those confusing statements that Jesus made. Every now and then you find one of them and it sounds backwards. But you know, it's just so wise and so beyond you and you really have to think about it. If you want to live, you must die. If you want to to be full, you must be hungry. You know, it's one of those things where Jesus just kind of turns the world around and we struggle to understand it. One of the problems that we have here in English is that Jesus is actually using two different words for life in this passage. There's two separate words, two separate understandings, two different meanings. The first time he uses the word life, it has to do with your achievements, with the things that you can do for yourself, with the things that you're proud of, the things that you have achieved in this world and your experiences. And he's saying, guess what? All those things that you've done for yourself, all those things where you have given yourself the power to get through this, they mean nothing. (laughs) And you've got to lay all of those things down and take on my life. Nothing that you can do for yourself will make any difference for you in eternity. Guess what the people out there are looking for to make meaning in their lives? They're looking for those things. They're looking for the things that they can do for themselves, the things that they can achieve, the things that they can earn, the things that they can buy. And if they see us running after the same things, then why bother coming here? (laughs) Why bother coming to us if we're trying find meaning in the same things that they try to find meaning what difference can we make this is what paul's talking about in in first timothy chapter six you guys know this passage you know part of it first timothy chapter six and verse beginning in verse 10 paul says for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil you've heard that before right the love of money is the root of all evil we hear that and we stop reading right there but paul is making the same point that jesus is making that those things that you run after are not going to help you Those things that you try to fill your life up with are not going to get you anywhere in eternity. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Jesus is saying the same thing. Whoever loves his life, the things of this world, loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's where you truly find eternal life. When you find Christ. When your life becomes wrapped up in the things of that are about him see if we're living for the same things that the people of this world are living for then why come here what difference can we make in their lives if we're just about the same things that they're about why waste their time what difference can we make so jesus's call here to hate your life it sounds harsh and it sounds completely opposed to everything that this world tells us about loving yourself and and being good to yourself and then being kind to yourself it's not a call it's a call to not find meaning within yourself within your own power within the things that you control but rather to place something to place someone above you to make that person the master of your life how will they know 
that we're living for something different? How will they know that we're living for something different? How do we make it authentic to them? Jesus tells us that here too. He tells us that people need to see us and they need to see that we serve. They need to see that we are serving others. So if they're going to see Jesus in you, if people are really going to see Jesus in this world, if they come and say, we wish to see Jesus, they're going to have to see Jesus in you. So, is there any chance they're going to see Jesus in you because you are holy? No. Are they going to see Jesus in you because you've got all the answers? No, because you've got it all together, because your life is perfect, because you never make a mistake, because you never sin. No. Well, that's not going to work. Rats. So how are they going to see Jesus in us? Unless there's some other way. What if there's some other way they could see Christ in us? What if there's some way they could see His attitude, His love, the way that He cares for others? What if they could see that in the way that we serve other people? Verse 26, Jesus says, If anyone serves Me, he must follow Me. And where I am, there will My servant be also. If anyone serves Me... The Father will honor him. Now keep in mind, this statement, just like the last verse, this statement is based on his resurrection. It's not based on the things that you're going to do when you serve him. It's not based on you doing enough that you get to go to heaven, that you finally get God's attention, or that by serving enough you have earned your place in heaven because you've worked hard, but rather by his sacrifice, by him laying down his life for us, you have life now, and you're going to lay that life down for others. You are now able to serve. This is, again, what Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter 2 when he says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works. So right there, it's not because of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. To do good works, which God prepared before that we should walk in them. Why were you created? You were created to serve. Why were you saved? You were saved to serve. How are people going to see Christ? If someone comes and says, we wish to see Jesus, how are they going to see Him in you and me? <laughs> when we serve. I don't want to step on any toes here. That's a lie. I'm sorry. I, uh, I really like that I get to step on toes in this job. That's one of, the thing, one of the reasons I do it. I get to step on people's toes, you know? I step on my own toes. That's bad, but, you know, it's one of the perks of being a preacher. You get to step on as many toes as you want. If you think you're going to live if you think you're going to live a fulfilled Christian life by sitting in that pew, you're not. It's not going to work. If you think you are going to change your neighbor's lives and you're going to win them to Christ because you get to sit in a pew on Sunday morning, it's not going to work. If you have kids and you want them to put their faith in Christ, if you've got grandkids and you would like them to become Christians, if you have parents 
that you would like. If you have anyone in your life that you love and you want to spend eternity with them and you think you're going to get them here because they see you spending your Sunday mornings in church, it will not work. If you want to see them there, then there's going to have to be something different about your life. And you're going to have to get your hands dirty. You're going to have to get involved. You're going to have to make some commitments besides holding a chair down at 10 a.m. one day a week. And I'm not up here telling you this because we need people to do stuff around here. We do. But I'm not up here telling you because uh, we've got to have people that will fill these spots. We've got to have, got to have sign-up sheets. We've got to have people to, to do these things. We need people to, to learn how to help Dave and Chad back there with the sound and video. We need people who'd be willing to be trained and, and to come alongside them and to learn how to run those things. It's, it's kind of complicated, but it's, it's kind of fun, I suppose, because those guys are back there doing it. They always seem happy when they're back there doing it. We need people to do that kind of stuff. We need, we need people to help us with Wednesday lunches you know, and feeding these high school kids who come in here, 22 of them last week, not the, the week before, two weeks in a row, 22 kids from our high school, come here, have amazing food. Wow! But more than just what they're fed physically, it's what they're fed spiritually. They know that if they need help, that they need a place where they can pray, if they need someone who's going to listen to them, who's going to help them with the tough questions, they can come here. They know people in this church care about them. That's amazing. It's incredible. We need people who would be willing to learn how to drive the bus so they could pick them up and, you know, so those kids, we can get them here. We maybe even get a few more kids here. We need people who would help with youth groups. We need people who would help in the nursery. We need people that would go and, and visit the sick. We need all kinds of help. But we don't need you to do those things because we need those things done. You need to do them. You need to serve so that when people look at you, they say, that's someone who is fumbling through life just like me. But there's something different about that person. There's something different. They've got something going on, and there's a difference. What is that difference really about? We wish to see Jesus. That was the question. And did you notice that the time has changed? For Jesus here. Verse 23, he doesn't say the hour is coming. In verse 23, Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's no longer something that's out there. Someday there's going to be this big change. Someday the hour is coming. Someday it'll get here. Instead, now it's here. It's right here. It is right now. So what are you waiting for? If, if the hour has come for Jesus to be glorified, what are you waiting for? What is there that you could possibly be waiting for? I need more time. I need more time. Let me ask you something. Are you going to get any more time than you have today? Is that how it works? You know? I've noticed as I've gotten older, I have less time here than I used to have. <laughs> Unless you've got something figured out that I don't, you're not going to get any more time. 
I need more skill. <laughs> no, you don't. That's an excuse. This is one that really amazes me. I just don't feel called to do anything. What did Jesus just say? <laughs> the hour has come. I don't feel called? Then you may not be following him. Because you're called. If you're a disciple, you are called to serve. Do you want Jesus to be glorified in you? I hope so. Do you want Jesus glorified in your church? Do you want Jesus glorified in your community? Do you want Jesus glorified in, the, in your crowd, the people that you hang out with? Then he's going to have to be glorified through the way that you serve him. Verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The hour has come. What are you willing to give up for Jesus? If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where are you willing to follow him? Where are you willing to serve him? If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. We don't like to think about honor. We don't do things for the honor that we receive. We don't do things for notoriety. I don't do things so that you notice that I do them. But God sees. Don't you want God seeing you doing things? Don't you want some honor from God? What kind of honor will you receive from the Father? What kind of honor do you deserve? It's easy to sit and sing a song called, Lord, Be Glorified. And it's easy to, to think that we're doing that with our voices. And, and in a way, we are. But the fact is, everything that Jesus shows me here tells me that if we want God to be glorified, we're not going to do it just with our voices. We're going to do it with our hands. We're going to do it with our feet. We're going to do it as we serve. We're going to do it as we go. We're going to do it as we, as we represent Christ the only way we really can. And that is by serving Him, by serving our neighbors, and serving those around us. Today, if you want Jesus glorified in you, if you need us to pray with you about that, if you need us to help you find a place to do that, we would be glad to do that. We've got great opportunities. But most of all, it's, it's about Him. It's about Him being glorified. Let's stand together.